want to welcome our live streaming audience that joins us. Thank you for being part. There's no separation through sound waves. I thank the Lord that He's able to meet you right where you are. We get some really awesome testimonies of things that are happening through the airways. So I want to thank our AV sound team for all they do. Praise God. Well, if you have your handout, if you, if you don't, I hope you get one. Uh, they're out there, but you'll need one. Now, um, you'll notice that there's two, a front and back to this, right? Don't get too nervous. Um, this is part two. Remember, about two weeks ago, we did Walking Under Authority. And so we're going to pick up today, and we're going to look at uh, confronting the spirit of offense. Um, let me just say in advance, I, I know... Some would like, man, Pastor, what about a 20-minute sermon in three points? That's not who I am. If you've been here any length of time, right, he's like, yeah, if you're still here, that's why. <laughs> but so, but I, I do want to equip you. I, I'm not trying to put you through Bible college, but it is important that you rightly divide the word of truth, right? Amen? So um, I know it's like, how do you keep up just to do, just eat, <laughs> And worry about digestion later. Take your handouts, right, and, uh, and take it home and, and take it apart. And so, all right, I know sometimes I get a little wound up and go a little fast, and so, but I can't help it. I'm just going to go on with it, all right? Okay, let me first of all say that a few weeks back we looked at, if you're looking at your handout, the, the top is titled, The Father's Supernatural Protection, Protection and Provision. And we looked at what are the privileges of being part of the family? There are certainly legacy, we know from uh, the Abrahamic covenant, Galatians 3, that your heirs and joint heirs of the promise. Amen? You have been given all the promises that were given to Abraham if you're a born-again believing son and daughter of God. We also know that with that, privilege, family has privilege. Amen? And so when we look at the top there, first it started it with identity and intimacy. You must know God, and you need to be intimate related to Him, and that comes from being born again. We looked at the Scriptures there in John 3, at the top there it says identity and intimacy. John 3, 3 and 5, Jesus said, you must be born again, and then He goes on, He tells Nicodemus, unless you're born of the Spirit and born of the water, you cannot see or enter the kingdom. And so this, we, we looked at, you cannot debate spiritual things with people that are still not born again, right? The natural man cannot comprehend. In fact, they'll look at you as weird. They did it in Jesus' day, right? Even those who thought they understood the kingdom, when he preached a sermon like in John 6, right, eat my flesh and drink my blood, how many of them left him and never walked with him again? Now, he was speaking of spiritual things, but they did not have a concept. The Holy Spirit had not yet come, right? Didn't happen until Pentecost. They had no concept spiritually of what was happening. And many got offended. They got offended and they left him and never walked with him again. I love what the disciples said. So are you guys going to leave too? He didn't try to coerce them or anything. You're going to leave too? And they said, well, well, where would we go? See, they knew by the Spirit that he had life. They didn't get it. It's kind of strange. But we know that you're the giver of life and we're not leaving. And so they stayed with him. And certainly we know the rest of that story. So identity. But you are all kinfolk, whether you like it or not. You're kinfolk. Doesn't matter about skin color or age or culture, right? Whether you like Chinese food, right, Daisy? Awesome. We had a good meal last night. 
or something else, whatever your preference is. Guess what? Your kinfolk are varied and diverse, and in heaven there's going to be lots of it. You're also declared to be royalty. He told you you're kings and priests, even if you don't feel like that. You're not orphans. He told them twice in John 14, just before he went, he says, I'm not leaving you as orphans. So we are honest-to-goodness kinfolk, right, with him. And that ought to give you a sense of rest and peace. No matter what's going on, I know who my daddy is, and I knew who my Lord is. Amen? Well, from that, there are at least four pillars. I mean, obviously, we could look at more, but I've highlighted four stovepipes or, or what I'll call basic pillars of how you walk in provision and protection. I love the song we did, Jehovah Jireh. That was a great song, right? Just right on, right, with where we're at. This provision, this protection by the Lord. And so we looked at walking under authority last, a couple weeks ago, and I'm going to just summarize a couple of things, but I want to start out with a verse that, uh, why don't you turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, and let's begin in verse 21. Jesus is talking about true discipleship. Matthew 7, beginning in verse 21. This is a very challenging scripture. I looked at probably a half a dozen commentaries on it. And they're all very sobering, actually, about this set of scriptures. True discipleship. I love to hear the turning of pages. It's good. All right. There, Matthew 7, 21. I'm going to read King James and New Living back and forth here. One is the King James Version, which is the thought for thought, and the New Living. I'm sorry, thought for thought is the New Living. King James is word for word. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many, many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. I never knew you. I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. I mean, if that doesn't make you a little bit nervous, it should. It ought to shake us. It ought to get to a place. So workers of iniquity, the doers, um, this sermon is is not an easy sermon. I'm just going to tell you to buckle up, right? I couldn't take an appetite of this all the time, but I need to confront some things. When we confront the spirit of offense, that's a demon. In the Scriptures, you never counsel a demon. You don't cuddle up to a demon. Let me stroke you and it convince. No, no. He commanded them out. And this, once we understand that the spirit of offense is an enticing spirit, it's a seducing spirit, it's dressed up in other things, 
but it is actually a spirit that is operating. We saw it in full bloom this week in the mass murders of Americans. We're going to look at the progression of that evil, and we're going to look at what does God say about how we confront this spirit. So let me summarize just a couple over the walking in the authority. We see that authority, many say, well, I don't like authority. (laughs) I don't like to operate under. In fact, they'll say, I don't trust authority, and I won't submit to authority unless I agree with their principles, maybe with their politics or their practices. I will not submit to it unless I agree. That's not scriptural. Well, what if it's unfair? What if it's unjust? What if I think that they're not doing right? What if it's even corrupt? If you've been coming on Wednesday night or, or live streaming on Wednesday night, John Bevere deals with this in very clear aspects of Scripture over and over again. It has nothing to do whether you agree or disagree with the principle of those who are in authority. Submit to them. We looked at that in Romans 13 last time. We'll look in a minute. We know that when you're confronted with truth, Oftentimes, there's two responses. One is anger and defensiveness, or humility and brokenness. When you come, how many of you came to Christ recognizing when you heard the truth, you broke and said, that's for me, I'm a sinner, right? But they'll, you can preach that truth to others, and they can get angry. In fact, some of them want to cut your head off, right? We've been in countries, right, Kent, where they want to take a machete to you. Well... Jesus warned, he said, lawlessness would abound in the last days. Don't be deceived. It's hard to understand kingdom principles with a democratic mindset. Those who have been in the military or you've been in a place where you've come under um, what I'll call stringent authority, it makes no opinion. When I was in the Navy, they didn't really care about my opinion. They didn't really care who I voted for. And they didn't really care about the polls or the thing. You're going to do this or you'll end up in the brig. Okay. And I did some marching when I first got into boot camp. They shaved my hair off, right? I did a whole bunch of marching. I even got demerits for unshined shoes in my closet during an admiral's inspection. All of that was intended to make me understand, I don't really care about your opinion. Do as I tell you to do. Kingdom has kings rank and order, and that's the kingdom. And it's powerful when Christ establishes his kingdom. But we in the freest society in the world, the most greatest nation that has ever experienced more freedom than anyone else in the history of the world, we're a blessed nation. And that's awesome. But if we don't understand this principle, it'll mess you up when you start looking at the kingdom. We even see, look at this, this is a couple examples just as a thought. You can jot them to the side here. Look at Acts chapter 12, Acts 21. When the apostles established and were planting churches, the senior pastor was the brother, James, of John. So John, remember you had James, uh, Jesus' half-brother. He becomes the senior pastor at the church in Jerusalem. And when Peter, remember they got into this whole debate whether we should make Gentiles submit to Jewish law and be circumcised? And they debated about this, and they came back, and it says, we submitted that to James. And James deliberates over that and tells him the practice and the policy. These are the apostles that go to the senior apostle that is at that position of being senior pastor. We also see it again when 
Peter's released from prison. Remember the angel opens the door? It says he showed himself to James and the other apostles in Acts 12. And then in Acts 21, Peter and Paul says they came back and they submitted themselves to James and the other apostles. What's my point? When James was selected by the elders to be the senior pastor in Jerusalem, there was a hierarchy of submission. Even the senior apostles understood that. Okay, you're looking at me a little funny, but all right. So what is, what, what's the point? Authority matters. And so whether you agree or disagree with those in authority, we know what the word lawlessness is, the Greek word anomia, A-N-O-M-I-A. What does that have to do with anything? It means lawlessness or the condition of being without law. And the whole point of the scripture we first read, if you notice in that Matthew scripture, it says, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Or what you did broke God's laws. So what's the point? A few weeks ago, we looked at that scripture in Luke's gospel, in verse, I think it was, uh, it was in Luke 14. Remember the parable of the great feast? The father is the one, you've just been invited to a wedding, invited to a great feast, come. And so the father is the invitor to the kingdom feast. Jesus is the servant who's going out to the highways and the byways, inviting them to come. Well, they get all a bunch of excuses. The first one says, well, you know, I just bought a field and I, and I just can't come. Next one says, well, I just got a pair of oxen. I need to try them out. He's got a new set of wheels. He's got to try those out, right? The other one says, well, I just got a brand new wife and I got to be with my wife. And he goes back, the servant Jesus goes back to the father and reports that and the father's real uptight. Now, which of those are sin? Trying out your new car, going to look at your property, being with your wife, none of those are sinful. But when the Father makes an invitation and you select your possessions and your families over the invite, that's called lawlessness. Hello, I'm speaking to some. And so there's this point where lawlessness is where we don't obediently listen to what God said. See, the folks that are described by, by Jesus in Matthew there, they're people that prophesied. They cast out demons. They worked miracles. That's not your run-of-the-mill characters sitting in a pew every Sunday. These are folks that are out doing this, but, but there was something about their disobedient at the core level of who he was that they did not follow. And he says, I never knew you. I don't know, that's a sobering. You meditate on it for yourself and what it does, but that, that one humbles me. Lord, we want to do, what we want to be about your business, but it has to be done about your business, right? Okay. When we look at this uh, summary events, I also just, I'm still summarizing, I know, I'm getting there. We also looked at the levels of authority, and we looked at where do you operate from when you're in authority in Christ, we looked at three heavens. We, we took this apart. Remember, God created the heavens, the first heaven. That's where he said, let there be a separation between the firmament and the waters. And he said, and, let, and so the first heaven is clearly described in Genesis. There's no description in Scripture about a second heaven. But there is a th- description of a third heaven, right? We saw that in 2 Corinthians where Paul says, I went into the third heaven 
Whether I was in body or not, I can't tell you. And I saw things I could not utter, things that could not be described. We know from Revelation 12, I'm still summarizing, Revelation 12, there was a war in heaven, right? And it says, we've overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And the good news is that Satan was thrown out of heaven, and one-third of his demonic angels were thrown out with him, and they were angels, and he was, he was the, the choice seraphim, right, that worshiped God. There was no sin in heaven, but they had free will, just like you and me. And with them knowing who God was, they still rebelled against God. One-third of the angels, that ought to spook us. When you have free will, that's a choice. That's what call is love is all about. If you don't have free will, you can't have real true love, right? So he gave them free will, created them as beings, and yet they organize a revolt in pride and arrogance, we know, and one-third of them are cast out of heaven. That's the good news. The bad news is says they were cast down to earth, right? And that's how the demonic forces that are operating in this place right now, in the earth, because the God of this world is still here, Let me try this on you, see if I mess with you a little more. If is, here's a statement that God is in control, but is he really, let me flip that. God is in charge, but he's not in full control. Hello? right? He's in charge, but he's not in full control. You have free will, correct? And so at one time, in the future, he's going to set up his kingdom, and it is going to be under the rule and reign of Christ. We know that from the book of Daniel, book of Revelation. But you still have free will. We saw that this week, those who exercise free will in a crazy, murdering spirit. So when we operate from the third heaven, if we know from Ephesians that we are seated, remember Ephesians 2 says you're seated at the right hand of God in heavenly realms. Ephesians uh, 4 says that. And so also in Ephesians 2 it says you've been created unto good works. So we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, but we're still here. And so when we operate in authority, once we understand we're kinfolk with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and we have been given full authority... And if we operate from that authority, from the third heaven, not battling down here against flesh and blood, which is in the first and second heavens, when he tells us in Ephesians, you wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of, of darkness in the high places, right? And there's a hierarchy in the kingdom of darkness. We know that. And so what he's telling us in authority, if you'll submit to me and you will operate from your level of authority in the third heaven where you're seated with Christ... There's no demons in that location. So you speak. That's where Luke's gospel, when Jesus said, I've given you full power and authority. This is in Luke 10. Remember the 72 disciples come back from their mission trip? And it says, even the demons are subject to you when we use your name. It's subject to us when we use your name. Right? So what are they saying? They understood that when we operate in your name under your given authority delegated to us, even the demons that operate in the first and second arena are subject. And you know Jesus' response? <laughs> he says, yes, 
I saw Satan falling from heaven. Now that is what? You're dealing with demons at a, in a, at a ground level warfare location, praying against sickness and torment, and, and Jesus says, I see the kingdom of darkness collapsing at the highest levels. They were operating from a level of authority in the third heaven, taking authority over sickness and torment. Are you getting this? Okay, so, so we're operating in that place of authority, but we sometimes, we get down to this level and we start wrestling against flesh and blood. Well, I'm just offended. I didn't like the way he looked at me. I didn't like the words. Do you know what my neighbor said? <laughs> Hello? I'm talking to us. <laughs> we've all been there, and if you're not, you're, okay, praise God. But we've all been there, and so that person at work who just seems to have this attitude and Boy, oh boy, the neighbor, he can't cut his grass right, and he comes and puts his tree on my property line, and hello. Okay. Confronting the spirit of offense. Turn over your hand out, and I'm now starting, praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Jesus, I know. Just give me, give me grace. Please, please help me. Okay. Confronting the spirit of offense. There is a spirit that is behind offense. I think once we have a revelation on this, we'll behave differently. We'll understand greater. This is one of those, oh, I know what this is, right? The spirit of wisdom and revelation is what Paul said. I I pray that you have in Ephesians. That spirit that is behind offense, you can either take the bait or you can obey God and forgive. Take the bait and be offended, or you can obey God and forgive. There's really two battles that are going on. I, I believe there's a battle between love and hate and between offense and forgiveness. The battle between love and hate and between offense and forgiveness. So let's turn. Um, actually, turn your hand out one more time over and look at the You see the second column there where it talks about the progression of sin in unforgiveness? There is a progression to this spiritual battle. If you get offended, what's the first thing that happens? You feel betrayed. They they mistreated me, and uh, they they did something. I feel there's been a betrayal against me. I trusted you, and you, you did something to me that it was untrustworthy. So the first thing that happens, you get offended, and then if you camp in betrayal... That betrayal will continue to feed you to the point where hatred starts to rise. That's what's going on in our politics right now. We are camped right here. When, when, they, when there are people in this United States who are standing outside the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's house this week, who's nurturing his broken shoulder, and they're saying they, they don't want him to sleep, they want to bother him to the point where we're going to keep you up, and they're cursing at him, This is the Senate Majority Leader. Hello, Romans 13. Submit to those in authority. Honor them. And then they're going on and they're saying, well, you know what? We wish you'd broke your neck instead of your shoulder. And you know what? Somebody ought to stab him in the heart. You hear the hatred and the murdering spirit that's behind that? And then they justify, well, I don't agree with their politics. That has nothing to do with what you're doing. God help them. God, I'm telling you, we've got we to sober up here, and we as believers 
my people called by my name should humble themselves and start praying and confess our sins, turn from our wicked ways, right? Second Chronicles 7, 14. Look at the progression, the offense, the betrayal, the hatred. Then you're deceived like you know what's right, and you start believing good is evil and evil is good. And what happens? Lawlessness, cold love. These characters that are pulling the trigger in these mass murders, they've gotten to a place where they have believed all this stuff to the point where there's no God, there's no reason for living. So let me just go kill innocent people. That's a spirit. That is a demonic spirit that's loosed in our nation. Okay, turn back. I know I told you this was going to be a little easy listening fire and brimstone, right? Maybe not so easy listening. But anyway, let's move on. (laughs) All right. So if you look at the spirit that is behind this, right, love versus hate, offense versus forgiveness. Well, what is this, this strategy of the spirit of offense? Well, it's that That is that progression. Jesus told us that in Matthew 24. When he was predicting and telling us what the last days would look like, he speaks of offense and betrayal and hatred and deceiving many, and the love of many would grow cold, and lawlessness would abound. Do you think we're living in that day? I think we are. All right, let's turn to a nicer chapter. Turn with me to 1 John 4. I love John. He talks about the love of God. In John chapter 4, let's begin in verse um, 7. 1 John 4, 7. 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. When I read this, I think of Heidi Baker Love looks like something. We've been with Heidi in the bush, and certainly Kent served with her and Andrea as well. And love looks like something. I remember in our first trip, we were in uh, we were in the inner city in this burned-out place, drug addicts, brokenness. And Heidi came, and we were there, and we're ministering to these broken people, and. There was a pregnant prostitute. She was nine months pregnant. As soon as we got there, you know, I'm like, this is not what I thought it would be. We're in the dirt, and we're worshiping with a garbage can, and all these people that are inebriated and dirty and broken, they're all around us, and they saw Heidi, and they just started worshiping. And I see Heidi sitting in the dirt next to this pregnant lady, and Heidi turns to me, and she says, the baby hasn't moved in her womb in the last week. And they, if she has no money, and in Mozambique, there's no health care system. So I have to go to the hospital. I have to pay their bill to find out if the baby's okay. So I'm going to leave you now. I need to go. I'm like, you can't leave us here like this. Well, you're good. You're, my 14-year-old pastoral guy is with us who's lived here. I said, okay. Some of my folks looked at me like, pastor, it's getting dark out here. I said, and I'm trying to look really cool. Yeah, well, yeah. Heidi. Turns out the baby gets delivered, and then she turns and took Phil Walls, who's in heaven right now, and asked him to build a house for her that she's going to come to the base and be part of the mamas that raise the children. Love looks like something. 
Love looks like something. It looks like what I see at House of Mercy on, on Thursdays when the lady comes in and she's crying and says, my husband died two weeks ago. I've been diagnosed with cancer and I have no money in my gasoline car. I need somebody to be able to drive me to the doctor. See, love looks like something. And when I see our team pray for a man, I just, it just does something to me. In your handout, it says, the Bible confronts the spirit of offense one of two ways. When we look at John, you're going to see the first way. Let's read that one. 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God, and anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. Remember our scripture says, I never knew you? Those who love God know God, and anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. That counters that scripture we read in Matthew 8. I never knew you. Then it appears to me you did never know about the love of God. God showed much love as he sent forth his son, his only son, into the world that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. That he loved us first and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. God has not given us a spirit, has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes, and now we testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior. John is saying, I saw him. All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much he loves us as we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. Look at verse 18. Such love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for the fear of punishment. And this shows us that we're not fully experiencing that perfected love yet. We love each other because he loved us first. So now, if you look at your handout, what John is telling us is God in the Scriptures clearly describes for us, and I think this is not fully understood, at least in Christendom. I don't feel that we really understand it. It's like, well, what about, aren't we supposed to turn the other cheek and and, uh, pray and turn? Yeah, but it's conditional. Let me try to explain this. It says that there's two ways the Scripture confronts the spirit of offense. You see that at the top of your handout? 1 John 4, 7. I've also listed 16, 18. Matthew 6 also says, forgiven, you'll be forgiven. So the first is love. Love and forgiveness is the preferred method by which we as Christians, when you get offended, the first and preferred method of your forgiveness is to love and forgive. Amen? That's a, that's, yeah, we got that. How come we don't do it? How come it's so hard? It's a spirit. It's a demonic spirit. It's a seducing spirit that justifies through pride and arrogance that I got my ways and I got my rights. 
You gave up your rights. Right? Jesus said he became a servant, and he became one who washed feet. God looks like something. It looks like hanging on a cross. Let me speak to husbands for a minute and myself. In Ephesians 5, it says, Christ died for the church, and you husbands ought to hang on a cross for your wife. I don't always do that. Hello? I know many of like, come on, ladies. You can do one of these things. It's all right. There's a scripture in there about women and honoring husbands too, but we won't go there today. All right, that'll be for another one. Okay, so love and forgiveness is the first choice. But the second one, you see that? The second approach in the scriptures to dealing with the spirit of offense is authority that overpowers with judgment. If you've seen any of the videos of what happened there in Dayton, Ohio, we were there in Dayton a few years ago, right? Doing an outreach with that mayor, actually, with the mayor that was there. It was amazing. Love Dayton. It was incredible. We went to every house in the city limits and prayed. It was an incredible experience. But when that shooting happened in Dayton, guess what the police officers, did you see the video? A guy is shooting with an 80-round AR-15. He's already killed nine people, and he's headed for the, for the bar to go in there and kill another how many? And the three, the three police officers with handguns confront and go into and get him in 28 seconds. When I call 911, I don't want a, a, maybe they can carry it, but I don't want a police officer to show up with his Bible to pray. Hello? He can pray later. Amen? Come on, my, I'm, Pastor, that sounds kind of rude. I don't know. No, no, this is what Scripture says. Romans 13 says, you ought to be afraid if you break the law in lawlessness. Okay, turn with me to Romans 13. Come on now. Hello. Turn to Romans 13. Pastor, that doesn't sound very loving. It's in the book. Okay, Romans 13. Everyone, Romans 13, 1, respect for authority. Everyone must, hello, every soul is subject to, every soul must submit to the governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against the authority is rebelling against God. And what God has instituted, there will be punishment. Hello? For the authorities strike fear in the people who are doing right, but those who... For the authorities do not strike fear in the people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Then do what's right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if they're doing wrong, of course you should be afraid if you're doing wrong. For they have power to punish you. They are God's servants. So when I look in New York City and I see these people throwing water and dishonoring the police officers, you are dishonoring God's servant. Now, they're not perfect. There's no perfect pastors. There's no, guess what? There's no perfection in this room. So God will root them out. But if you dishonor and disrespect, you are disrespecting God's servants who were sent there. And they'll be the very ones that on the time that you need them to show up, they'll show up. And they're just like you and me. They got families, they got stuff, and they're not paid very much either. So we need to be careful about when, when we want the governing authorities to interdict on lawlessness and evil, they've got to show up with authority 
and with power. And that is not ungodly. Now, let me use the example here. Um, I've tried to characterize this. It was such a, I think I've shared this before. If you look at the deception that is going on right now, there is this, you see number one there? The terror of hell is the death of love. The terror of hell is the death of love. How would a loving God, here's the, here's the lie today that's out there. Here's the deception. No loving God could ever send somebody to hell. If God is love, why would he ever send anyone to hell? That's the lie today in Christianity. There's no hell and there is no judgment. He loves everybody. Well, he does love everybody. This so-called new Christianity, but then it would be child abuse if the Father sent Jesus to die for us for no reason. Hello? Jesus says, you know, over my dead body, will you go to hell? Unfortunately, many are stepping over him, believing the lie there are no consequences to unbelief and living in sin. We build prisons because we love people. Well, wait a minute now, Pastor. I just thought that President Trump just passed prison reform and people that are... The, yes, there's injustices in the system, Right? But we build prisons because we love people. When the lawless refuse to listen to the honor and the, the rules of society, they, we jack up the level of control over them through authority, and they either listen and repent, or they go to jail. And I'll tell you what, our jail ministry, go sit time a little bit with some of our folks that go to the detention centers, Tony and Christine, and others like Terry, Pastor Terry, and Pastor Willie, when they're set aside in the place of the jailhouse and they realize what in the world, their fasted environment, they come to know Christ, many of them. Love has a choice. Did you ever wonder why did God put two trees in the garden? Why not just one? Because you have to have free will. There has to be, love has a choice. Without it, there is no choice, and there really is no depths of love. I want to talk to you about this confrontation of normalizing sin, which is where I think we are today. But let me expound on this whole thing about what do you do when you're confronted with evil? John Bevere does a pretty good job of this, but let me try to summarize. The Civil War, we had a country that was built upon sin in that arena, Enslaving people is absolute sin, right? And yet, we had states that believed in it. In fact, it was based upon money. A lot of it was the agricultural process. So greed and sin and slavery. So God's servant, Lincoln, is raised up. And he pays a terrible price. You know, he's assassinated. But he was God's servant for that time. You ever read the literature about him? When we do National Day of Prayer and we have Lincoln's Prayer during the midst of the Civil War, 600,000 people died on both sides of that. You talk about a blood sacrifice? But that confrontation of evil was the result of God's servant saying, enough. And he and routed it out and the country went through a horrible time. We're still living with the consequences of that stuff. Look at Nazi Germany and Japan. There is no way we were going to convince 
Hitler or Hirohito that, hey, let's stop. When, when the aggression started and Europe decided to give in to all of Nazi Germany's aggression, it was guys like Churchill, God's servant, who stood up and said, no, we will fight them in the sea, we will fight them in the hedgerows, we will fight them on the land, and we will never, we will never, we will never capitulate. Those are God's servants that have put in such a time in such a place. I remember flying from Tokyo to Taiwan, and there was a professor from Japan, perfect English, actually a teacher, and I was reading the book of Matthew on the plane, and he said, oh, you Christians, you entice me, you encourage me, you intrigue me. So what do you mean? He goes, I was a kamikaze pilot, 16 years old, and my mission was to fly and blow up one of your ships. But the war ended. They dropped the bomb in Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Truman dropped the bomb there, so I never flew my mission. But my house was bombed. I had nothing. We had no food. We had nothing. And your soldiers, when MacArthur came and you took over our nation, I know what we would have done to you in the verse. We saw that in the Bataan Death March. We saw what we did in China. We saw what we did when we took over in Korea. I know what we would have done to you. But you fed us. And then you poured money in, and you rebuilt us. You Christians, you're reading out of the book of Matai. You intrigue me. That's exactly what this is about. We stop evil. We confront it with power and authority, but then we love and we forgive, and there's no offense. Amen? That's why the nation has been able to be blessed. That's a godly principle right? And so once we understand the spirit of offense and where we are in our families and in the government and where we are today, this whole thing with normalizing sin, we better get this right. What two people decide to do in their bedroom at night is their free will. But don't you come to the classroom and teach my children homosexuality and abortion. You're trying to normalize sin, make it so that guilt and shame is no longer there. That's, that is a deceiving lie. And it's time for the Christians to stand up and say, enough is enough. We're not going to allow that in this nation. Because if we normalize sin, if we normalize sin, it's like, well, Pastor, I remember I, we preach. I've had people come in here brand new. You mean it's not okay that I'm sleeping with my boyfriend and girlfriend, that I'm living together? No. That's called fornication. Well, pastor, you're really going to be strict about this pornography? Yeah, that's called the spirit of adultery. You've invited another lover into your marriage. So, come on. I know I'm preaching to, to those. We, we're all, none of us are perfect. I'm not saying holier than thou. But what I'm saying is we cannot normalize sin. Paul warned us in Timothy, there will be a day when they will call good evil and evil good. And when a leader comes... Prior leaders come and say, it's okay, this LBGTQ stuff. No, it's not. And you know what? Love has a meaning behind it that you may be offended when I tell you that that is going to result in you in a place of real darkness. I still love you because sin is sin. Whether it's adultery or fornication, it's still sin. Drunkenness is sin. Greed, holding on to your money and not helping, that's called greed. And the word says that no idolater, no person of greed or immoral shall inherit the kingdom. So we can look at all the, oh, that's a really bad sin, but I'm over, no. You can't cherry pick this. This is not a buffet. I like that one. I don't like this one. This is family style. 
What's put in front of you, you're going to eat. <laughs> Amen? Mom last night said, yeah, we didn't have a lot, but I put it down. If they didn't like it, the boys went hungry. We did. Liver and onions and chicken hearts and rice. Oh, my Lord. I don't think I've ever had one of those in a long time. It's time for us to recognize, look, we can't buffet this thing, okay? It is the Word of God. And if you're, well, I don't want to offend. Get over your political correctness. All those listening by live stream, get over the political correctness. It is time, it says, look, this is the Word. We're not going to make any excuses for it. We're not going to water it down. We're not going to compromise it. Because love looks like something. And if I tell you the truth, because on the day it says in Ezekiel, it says, the watchmen are called on the wall. And if you blow the horn as a watchman, then their sin is on them. But if you fail to blow the watchman call, their sin is on you. So right now, guys, I'm getting a lot of freedom. Hello. So, so listen, we cannot normalize sin. And it's okay. Now, we, we, let, me, let me taper this down a little bit. Okay, turn with me. Keep going, keep going. Um, if you look at, Jesus said, come follow me, right? He didn't say, know about me. <laughs> Satan and the angels, I covered this. One third of them rebelled even, they, even though they knew God, right? So look at number 10. We'll, we'll get into the nice, easy part of this now. In number 10, it says, forgive one another. Look, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, let's look at how we approach this thing with, it says, be peaceful and as much as possible to you. There may be some unpeaceful times. What was it like when Jesus told the Pharisees there were a bunch of dead men's bones, sepulchers? That's like, what? Wow, that's... Um, how come you didn't water down that John 6 scripture, or at least expound on it, eat my flesh and drink my, why didn't you just like explain it? He didn't. When he put the whip together and he turned over the money changers, he said, my father's house should be a house of prayer. I'm sure the boys were thinking, there's probably a, a nicer way you could have done this. So I'm not telling you how to behave, but there, he does also tell us to live at peace as much as possible with you, within you, without compromise. All right, are you there? So in Ephesians 4, let's look at verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. I'm, I'm talking to me. I've, I've got to really, when I turn on the news and I see what's going on, I've got, got to button this lip. And I gotta pray. I gotta pray. You pray for me. Instead, be kind to each other, tender hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. We like to pass over that. Imitate God, verse 1, chapter 5. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love. Follow the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual impurity, greed among you. No obscene, foolish talking, coarse jokes. Instead, there should be thankfulness. You can be sure that no immoral, impure greed will inherit the kingdom of Christ and God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. 
Look at Colossians 3. Make allowances for each other's faults. Yeah, yeah, but pastor, you don't understand what they, yeah. Make allowances. Colossians chapter 3. And let's pick up in verse 13. Colossians 3, 13. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Oh, man. Anyone? You didn't mean anyone, God, right? That's like, I want to buffet that one out. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Well, what if I don't agree? You can still love. Well, we all have those wild uncles or aunts, right, at the dinner table and family times like, oh, Lord, Uncle Harold. I hope there's no Harolds in here. Praise God. I'm sure I'm talking about another Harold, right? And so it's like, oh, boy, you still got their family, <laughs> and you got to make allowances for Uncle Harold, and you got to forgive him. But, Lord, you don't know how weird he is. Yeah, I know how weird he is. I made him. <laughs> Just for you. I made him for you so that he would really get you thinking about how much love you got. Oh, Lord. I'm preaching to me right now. I'm just, whoo, glory to God. Okay. You don't need to understand in order to drive forward in obedience to God. How many of you drive a car, but you have no idea what's under the hood? <laughs> okay. How about a microwave? Tell me how your microwave works. This smartphone, right? But you use, oh, I, don't, I can't do it unless I understand. Oh, baloney. <laughs> That's not true. You can move on. It's, I heard this from Chris Vault, and I thought it was really great. Go back to 1800 and something, right? And in 1800, this guy says, I'm going to put 47 versions of the Bible on a thing as big as my thumbnail. In 1800, yeah, right. You know, Aunt Mabel, she can write really small, but no way you're going to do that. Right? Now, today, we've got 47 versions on my smartphone smart chip that I can call up right now. So what you understood back in 1800s and what is, to, is it always existed, just we didn't know about it. I've done this thing with um, when we talk about aerodynamics and gravity, right? So just because you don't understand and I don't understand what's in this word and therefore I don't necessarily want to follow it, we need to get over that. This is the B-I-B-L-E, right? The basic instructions before leaving earth book, Right? So this B-I-B-L-E, it's the basic instructions just before we get out of here. And so when we look at being judged, back to that first scripture, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Well, I wanted to cherry pick what I liked in here. You can't do that. I can't do that. Amen? Okay. Let me land this thing and tell the truth even if it offends but do it gently. Let's, uh, let's look, at, um, look at Romans 12 for a minute, verse 18. Romans 12, 18.
Let's begin actually in, in verse 17. So Romans 12, 17, this is a really awesome scripture about that whole book of Romans, right? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Present yourself a living sacrifice, right? Well, he goes on and he, and he shares more about being um, serving the Lord enthusiastically in verse 11. And then in verse 17, he says, never pay back evil with more evil. Ha. Nazi Germany. Recovery. Japan, recovery. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see what is on. See, that, that fighter pilot, that kamikaze pilot, he could see the honorable workings of Christ in the United States pouring taxpayer dollars to reconstruct Nazi Germany. Those who are critics, well, how could Truman ever drop a, a bomb on Nagasaki and, and Hiroshima? That couldn't have been God. Oh, really? Estimated over 200,000 U.S. servicemen probably would have died in the taking of Japan. Now, I, Truman, he was a godly man. He loved Israel, actually. You do a study on him. When Roosevelt dies in office in Truman, you think God doesn't know what he's doing? He knows exactly what he's doing. And so be careful when we start to judge who's in what office, Right? God is in charge. He may not be totally in control right now, but he will be at some point. All right. Honor those. Let's look at this. It says, read on. Never pay back evil. Verse 18. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. And King James says, if it is possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. You do our best to live in peace, but we may not always have peace. Amen? So we do our best. We make allowances for the faults of others. Tell the truth even if it offends. And then be reconciled one to another. Let me finish by, um, look at Ephesians chapter 4. I don't know of any other scriptures that really give this kind of urgency of warning, both from a timing point of view. Pastor Terry and I often kid each other about this, right? I asked Terry, I could tell, this is a while back, I don't remember what it was, but I offended Terry. That, that's, I don't remember what I offended you about with Terry. So I went into, went into Terry, I said, Terry, you got to forgive me. He goes, I got till sundown. I said, okay, I, how, do, how do I argue with that? I was like, it's in the book. <laughs> I think it was the next day. I said, Terry, how do we do? He goes, we're good, we're good, we're good. All right. Look here, it says, in living as children of light, he says, uh, stop telling lies, verse 25, Ephesians 4, 25. Stop telling lies and let's tell our neighbors the truth. Hello. For all of us are part of the same body and don't sin by letting, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry for anger gives a foothold to the devil. King James says, be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. See, that's that progression 
I've been offended. Now I'm feeling betrayed. What happens? You let hatred start rolling. I got all my rights start rolling around that thing. You're probably on the phone or you're texting. You wouldn't believe it. In this way, right? That's called gossip, right? And then we wonder why we didn't follow Matthew 5 and Matthew 18. Study this one. Matthew 5 says this. I'll give you the exact verses. In Matthew 5, maybe I didn't write that down. Matthew 5, let's, let's go there. Hallelujah. We'll give you the exact verses. In Matthew chapter 5, it says, If you're giving an offering to the Lord and you think someone has an offense against you. Verse 23. If you're presenting, this Matthew 5, 23. This is the boundary of driving through love here. One side of the boundary, it says, if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice on the altar and go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice. You'll notice one of the practices here is, we'll go to some. Somebody looks at you like a little strange, right? Like, or they're having a bad day and they're carrying that cloud and you think you're the cause of the rain cloud. Go to them privately and say, um, are we okay? I'm sensing something in your body language that's not okay. Is it me? It's not you. Or if it is you, then you can go to Matthew 18. Okay, let's deal with that one. Now turn to Matthew 18. So if you think someone, so when, this week when you go to work and you think somebody's got an issue with you, you might want to go to them privately and ask them, what's up? And then Matthew 18 says, well, what if they really did sin against me? What if they really intended to do something? Now, we're talking about love and forgiveness here, not authority with judgment, right? Matthew 18, it says, let's begin in verse 15, Matthew 18, 15. If another believer, it's interesting, says brother in the King James, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. If you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything may be confirmed with two or three witnesses. If that person still refuses, take your case to the church. Then he or she will accept the church's decision, if not, you treat him as a pagan. I was doing a prayer ministry on a woman from another state, and she came to me and she said, we were having this real disagreement in my family. So I went to my pastor, and we set up a meeting and brought my mother and the family with the pastor, and we laid out why we were offended with each other. And when we've done these types of confrontation, usually they turn out pretty well. She said, in this case, the pastor presented that, the mother said no, and I disown you, and for 18 years, she's never spoken to her mother. That offense had gotten to the place of so much darkness. People have issues going on with family members, they don't even know why they're offended anymore. As much as is able in you, live in peace. So, if you have an offense, or you know someone's offended, go to them. Write them an email. Write them a letter. Own your stuff. If they listen, great. If not, then you've done your part. And then you just say, look, and that doesn't mean you allow abuse. You put up boundaries for those who are abusers, right? But there is a point here where we have to operate 
in accordance with the word. Does that make sense? All right, let's stand to our feet. It's a little before noon. I want to invite the ministry team to come and the worship team, if you'll come as well. If you're here this morning, what I want to do, I want to pray in the last minute. I want to, I want to actually come against the spirit of offense. I believe that that spirit is trying to operate. It's operating in our nation right now. And it's causing murder and dissent and division. And that spirit, remember, if my people would humble themselves and pray, then he said he would hear from heaven. And we could turn. For, so we want to we repent for, for any offense we've carried. And then if you've got an issue going on in your life, that you need to go deal with, go deal with it this week. We'll ask God to have a breakthrough in that, right? But let's, let, first I want to do some uh, corporate agreement. This is intercessory prayer for our nation. So let's just pray with me. Let's close our eyes. and Lord, we, one, we come and ask for forgiveness for our nation, we as individuals or we as a group of people have become offended and we have judged and we have criticized, we have gossiped, we have torn down. You've put people in authority. We may not agree or even understand why. That doesn't matter. You told us to pray. You can turn the heart of a king. When we look at Cyrus Xerxes, who were then evil kings, Nebuchadnezzar, when Daniel was told, told him what the prophecies, and we see these, these wicked kings that give monies and approval to rebuild Jerusalem. So God, I pray right now that you would forgive us as a people and as a nation. We, the body of believers, come and repent on behalf of our nation We have allowed for the normalization of sin in areas that are going to bring destruction to our children and grandchildren if it is not turned around. So, Lord, we're asking for revival. So we come against the spirit of offense, that which is causing hatred and violence and murder and betrayal and cold love. God, we ask that you would let your people. You said you would even spare Sodom and Gomorrah if there was just ten righteous And you declared us righteous. You're the one who declared us righteous because of our faith in Christ. This is unrighteous. No, not one, but you are the righteous one. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask for forgiveness for a nation. And then, Lord, anything going on individually between families and workplaces and neighborhoods, as much as is possible with us, let there be peace. But also, Lord, let us... Know when to speak truth without fear. There's no fear. Someone gave me a word earlier, fear and anxiety. When people are running and scared because of a backfire from some motorcycle, there is fear in the earth. So, Lord, I pray, no fear. This perfect love has expelled fear. So, God, I pray that you cover us in your angelic protection. Under the protection of the Father, we are the kinfolk of the Most High God. And therefore, we have protection and rights angels that are on assignment to watch over us. So we're not ashamed of the gospel, Romans 1, 17. We're not ashamed. It is the work of the Lord unto salvation to all that believe. 
So, Lord, I thank you now that you would come and heal this land, heal this nation, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.